Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show, Cybersecurity, where you are. I'm Sean Atkinson Sizzo here at the Center for Internet Security, and I'm joined by the host with the most, Tony Sager. Tony, how are you, sir? <laughs> Great, thank you, Sean. Awesome. And, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I have the most, but uh, <laughs> I got some of it, so I'll bring what I got. <laughs> Fantastic. And we need what you've got, Tony, because we're on a cybersecurity journey today. So cybersecurity, where you are, is... We're going to map uh, where we think we are in terms of uh, going on a journey. It's been said, Tony, that you know cybersecurity, it's not a destination, but a journey. It's continuous, right? You're never done. Uh, and so I wanted to get your thoughts in this space as we start to move in that direction um, of thinking about approaching security from a, a really tactical, strategic perspective and what you need to have on the respective journey. And so it's we know need to know what we've got to pack in order to be ready. We need mm -hmm. to uh, plan our route so we know sure. where we're going and then we've got to hit the hit the road running, I think. Yeah, that's true. And you know, and you know, there, there's no metaphor that you can't beat to death, right? And uh, <laughs> overstay. But I think it actually works for me. This this notion of a journey, and I think it's built into the way we think of the problem and talk about the problem at CIS. You know, one of the challenges, right? Um, there's a bit of um, uh, sort of a misleading implication when we say cybersecurity, right? Security is like some mythical state, right? Some magical place that we get to, and you know, so, oh, what do I have to buy? You know, what do I, what's the thing I have to do? And it's not like that at all, right? It's, it's really more like you're building a machine that's going to keep running. And so the, the notion of a, a journey, and uh, as long as we accept, there is no like mythical, beautiful spot where we stop and put our feet up at the end, right? You'll never get to that state, Sean, no matter how good you are. Uh, but you're, you're designing something that will be ongoing. Right? It's not a thing. There's a process. There's a constant refresh. There's always new information coming in. And so if we think of it as a sort of a dynamic journey, right? that is, we, we expect things to change and, and that's okay. So I, I used to say that, um, you know, one of the challenges also when you think of security as a sort of an, in, a done end state, right? Then, then auditing takes a flavor of, you know, did you pass or did you fail? And that might not be the most important question, right? And I, I used to say, I mean, maybe I exaggerated a bit, but Sean, you've worked as an auditor and worked with them, right? I, I would say, I think auditing, it's more important to say, is the machinery in place to run this destination, right? To take the journey. That's more important than did they pass or fail, right? A, a Some benchmark or some, some level. Because, uh, you know, not that I've ever seen this, but I have seen this, you know, where when they when they know the auditor is coming, <laughs> the IT people say, you know what, we have all these exceptions and all these cranky old legacy apps. We're going to like take all that stuff out of here for a while and come back to the usual state until the auditor is gone. Uh, again, not that I've ever seen that, but I've certainly seen that. And, I, and I'm not joking. And exactly. because they knew that, 
you know, if they didn't hit some mythical mark, some magical uh, threshold, there's nothing but trouble for them. And so uh, at the end of the day, but, you know, when the process is over, they have a job to do, right? They, they have a mission. They, they, they're being held accountable for a certain outcome for the business. And so, you know, people are creative, right? And they will find ways to, to work around. So, so it is really important, I think, to understand is the right machinery in place? You know, how do I know? And, you know, and there are things that are hard to get a handle on as, as part of the planning for this journey. But, you know, a lot of these problems don't age well, right? If you don't start putting in place the machinery, you never get better. You know, inventory and things like that are all those kind of classic problems. So I, so I like the, the story, the, the notion of it, I think, is, is a healthy one because we then, if we think of a journey as an ongoing thing, then we have to worry about, you know, this sort of repeat activity and, um, you know, the last thing I'll share is this, this notion of a security framework that drives this, right? And, and you know, there's so many frameworks and we must love them because there's so many of them, but they, the, um, when people ask me about, you know, are we a security framework or, I, or, or should I have a security framework? Hey, you have one, whether you know it or not. If you, if you recognize a framework is a way you make decisions, right? You take in information, you look, you understand your base conditions, you think about, you know, what you're trying to achieve and you make decisions and you get to do that again and again. And you have to have some way to do it, even if it's random, even if it's completely ad hoc, right? Then, then you know actually quite a bit about the potential security of this, this place. And so uh, it's not a question of, should I? You, you do have one, even if it's completely made up. But better, right? Better if you're gonna design your journey to have a consistent way to take in new information, to identify your needs, right? To generate all this kind of stuff that goes with the journey so that you know you're going to do it over and over again. So might as well do it in a way that's consistent, repeatable. You can look at how do I optimize it? How do I automate parts of it? How do I, you know, how do I make this a, a, a doable activity? And then the notion of where am I is just a uh, outgrowth of that, right? It's just a consequence of the machinery that you put, put in place. So I think that's a much healthier way to look at it. So anyway, so that, you know, that, that's what I... I think, and I think it is a, a health, helpful way to think about it. Oh, absolutely, Tony. No, I, I completely agree. I, I like your um, a, approach to the audits when we're doing uh, pre-prep. Uh, and mm, pre-prep. <laughs> it's... Oh, oh, that's a polite term. What have they said? <laughs> <laughs> the problem with that is, and it's it's just, um, you know, it's in, in my um, audit career for, for mm-hmm. what it was, was the problem with it is you're being assessed against something that's not reality, right? You're being mm-hmm. assessed against this element of a shortcut to get you to compliance, but you've undermined uh, normalized security. So you're when you're assessing risk, and you know representatively, uh, I'll give you these thoughts: is when um, executives and others see, oh, look at us, look at how great we are in terms of security, but that's this pre-prepped, um, packaged environment that's very controlled and uh, not necessarily representative of normal operations, You're, you've just skewed your element of understanding risk for the organization. Mm-hmm. And so when you really need to know your needs is you're not helping yourself. And, and this is the thought, Tony, is as you start mm-hmm. out on this journey, if you're not estimating the risk, as it were, so we're going to cross a desert and you say, well, we're so efficient, we only need one bottle of water versus the 20 gallons that we need, mm-hmm. you've, you know, you're bound for failure, uh, ultimately. Yeah. What you need to be is, look, 
Um, this is representative of our organization. We need resources. We need capability. We know these elements are missing. And I, I really like your thoughts on the framework piece because it's um, these are repeatable patterns, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that is you don't have to reinvent these things, right? These things have been done. And uh, again, you, you know, uh, uh, my uh, fandom with respect to the CIS controls why I'm here is that has gone through really eight iterations of improvement. Because if you create your own, it's not necessarily you've got that external opinion coming in and, you know, advancing with what would be cloud technology. And now we're moving into artificial intelligence and bringing that in what type of controls. Those are thought about, you know, there's representative organizations that are looking at these frameworks to guide you on the right route. And they're mm -hmm. saying, okay, you need to know where you are from an audit perspective, a true audit. And then you can plan that journey a lot better than you can by then having this respective approach where you think you've perfected security. Oh, we don't even need to take the journey because we've done so well with these um, pre-canned um, pre audit environments that are you know, not representative. And it's, yeah. uh, it, it does damage, I think, uh, in a lot of cases, Tony. Well, I think, you know, that's, that's sort of intelligent. Uh, and, you know, we've been, as, uh, as you said, we've been refining and adapting and modernizing, evolving the, the controls and all the best practices, right, over time. And that's, that we do that, right, because recognizing this is a dynamic problem. There is no, you know, there's no one magic solution that's going to last forever, and that's okay. And we've always tried to hit what I call the sweet spot, right? So the sweet spot between, and with all respect, you know, typically a government framework or a large-scale industry framework, right? it's, it tries to cover everything and can take years to update. And, and that's part of the process, and there are technical reasons, there are legal reasons, uh, you know, and so forth that, that make that, and it's important to do, but it, it comes with a certain level of baggage. At the other end of the spectrum might be the, uh, you know, it's October, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, every magazine or every trade thing has a top 10 list. Okay. And those are transient, kind of, you know, basically cut and pasted from last year's or somebody else's. And, and so somewhere in between, right, there's a, there's a need for enough um, stability to build a security program, but recognizing that you have to be aware of a, this inflow of new information, changing context, new trade craft by bad guys. And so you don't want to, you know, run people around. That's, that's why we're always struggling with what is the lifespan of a primary numbered version of the controls, right? And, and uh, you know, again, how do we give people enough stability that it, it's a help to them and not something that they're chasing that's constantly, uh, you know, in flux? That's not helpful either, right? That's even worse. And so there's a sweet spot in there somewhere that we're, all, we're often uh, grappling with. But you know, when I when I think of the the way you describe the problem there, so, so uh, you know, my wife and I are into a, a adventure bicycling, and when you go with you know any of these like a road scholar type thing or any of the, the touring companies, you you often see a recommended packing list. All right, so here's the recommended packing list. We're going to this part of the world at this time of year. You know, through our experience, here's that you know how many of uh, of this article of clothing and what adventure gear and all that kind of stuff, and, and that's a that's a useful starting point, right? But, you know, now you look at you as a human being. Well, I, you know, I sweat more than average, maybe. Or, I, you know, I, maybe I need more shirts. Or maybe I, oh, I know that I, you know, I'm okay with, uh, we'll have laundry facilities along the way. So I can cut back on some areas. 
you know, based upon these conditions and uh, giving me space and weight to work with to bring something else, right? Something that makes my life happier, for example, something to read might be really important to me personally as part of this trip that isn't in the packing list. So you, know, you, get, you get the benefit of a lot of experience in that packing list, right? Your professional guides have run this tour many times. And so here's kind of the, the, a good starting point, right? That a lot of the data gathering decision-making has been made, but now you have to look at it with an eye towards now back to risk, you know, what you're willing to tolerate, where your comfort level is, you know, things that are really unique to your enterprise, your, your personal desires and so forth. And that's okay. You know, I still look at everybody's packing list and I've done a lot of these kind of trips, but I know certain things have more meaning to me or more importance in terms of managing my risk of running out of power, for example, for electronics or, you know, that's that kind of thing. And so, so that's good, you know, but what I, what's helpful is to know the difference, right? Is where did I, where did my judgment come in? My, my personal experience relative to this sort of, you know, uh, baseline or pre precondition list. And that's important for me to pay particular attention to. And those can change over time also, again, based upon my age or my condition or my familiarity with the destination and that sort of thing. So this, this packing thing is important stuff, right? This is about get, being prepared, but also knowing enough about yourself to be able to assess, you know, by the way, your boss really cares about compliance. So you do have to answer the mail and that's okay. But you also, as you said, part of your responsibility, as you watch this, right, is, is not to hide risk, but to empower those that have responsibility for the uh, enterprise to make knowing decisions, not, not, not risky decisions unknowingly. You know, and, and I think we've shared before, I talked about, you know, dealing with senior military decision makers where, where you'll hear the term, I accept the risk, you know, I'll sign off on the accreditation or whatever the business process is. And, and looking at that and realizing they're not saying that because they understand and are comfortable with and are willing to accept risk. They're saying it because they're frustrated. They don't understand this IT stuff. It's complicated, right? And we're not helping them. And so I, I think that's, that's part of it also is what, what you know, our, our packing, our planning, our preparation does it give us a consistent way to have that conversation with executives, right? Who are, or, who are trying to both execute a mission and do it responsibly. In fact, they need to do both. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I love it because it, it's really contextualizing then the need for respectfully the organization or, uh, you know, the respective journey. I mean, on my packing list, Tony would be an oxygen, oxygen tank because I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Now, that sounds like a good risk decision on your part. <laughs> so that's that's me, right? I have to, yeah. you know, you're really bringing in your own thoughts to this because there is no, uh, and, you know, I'll use this term, the, the cookie cutter approach to say, if I just do this framework, I'm good to go. It doesn't work like that because you, mm -hmm. every business is different. Every senior leader board have different perspectives on risk in terms of both tolerance and appetite. And those have to be taken into account. And then I think it's ultimately, Tony, is the uh, achievable. So going on necessarily um, one of the respective journeys you had mentioned mm -hmm. is, um, you know, there's training required. Is it achievable within my current, you know, physical condition? And then you've really got to then contextualize and bring it back because you've got to make a risk assessment on reality. And that's where we go back to, you know, these environments that are pre-prepped before auditors come in and everything's mm -hmm. great is that's not a, a realistic expectation of what you can do and what you're going to achieve 
in light of attack, in light of, you know, continuity of operations, in, in light of providing business value, you really have to then, um, you know, get to, to really understand and have a realistic approach. And the frameworks are great. That That's the route itself. But right. actually going on that route, taking that journey is not going to be done for you. Uh, again, like mm-hmm. you say, there's there's best practices, there's packing lists, because you've got, you know, representative people that have done it before, and there's no need to reinvent. But there is an, a reason to customize and contextualize so that, like you say, it's as comfortable for you in that process. And in some cases, and I'll reflect on this as well, Tony, mm-hmm. the first implementations are never easy. They are uncomfortable because you find we've got so many gaps. How do I prioritize? How do I understand where the risk is? Mm-hmm. You know, threat and vulnerability change on a daily basis, but you've got to take the first step. You don't know until you start the journey. And then along the journey, you get advisement. You learn about the environment itself. You learn what's important to the business. And then you can then move into a space, remove the false sense of security that has been provided get to a realistic approach and then you start in in some elements tony is then training right you're you're building mm-hmm. yourself up to when the audit comes back and let's say you've done a realistic audit they come back is i've shown improvement incrementally here's what we've done to align and you know reflectively i'll use the uh, implementation group one let's say um an organization came in they rated us at 50 percent. we have 50 percent of ig1 in place that then moves us to 85% and elements of IG2 as well. Fantastic. That's a phenomenal improvement. It allows us then to approach um, really respectfully our contribution to the journey is this growth that we need to see. And, you know, as you train, as you go through these things, they're all about elements of growth, both personally for the organization and, you know, whatever analogy that we put around it. But it's all about uh, becoming better. Yeah, that's interesting. And what you point out, right? We often think of, okay, we got to train people in the technical, you know, operation of the tools or the analysis of the data or whatever. But a lot of this is around um, sort of um, training in, in, in the, in the processes and the, the decisions, right? Cause you're, you, these are things you're going to have to do over and over again. And so there's a bit of muscle memory there. You know, our, our CEO, John Gilligan, uses the term, which I really liked when he first time, I think it was a decision momentum. You know, that is the habit of making decisions starts to build up, right? So this idea of, of having decisions be uh, sensible, but also visible and getting in a tempo of making them, right? It, it, it turns out, you know, that sounds trivial, right? These are businesses, we're running, we're doing it, but it turns out to be, I think in practice, and you've, you've observed this up close, it's not always natural and it's not always trivial, right? It takes this practice, for example, this, uh, the discussion between the, the you know, you, you again, I, I call you the speaker to boards, you know, from the technical up, right? And yeah, in, into policy, into business decision-making, that conversation, right, conducted not as, I'm not going to train every executive to be a wizard and I'm not going to train every techno wizard to be a business decision maker. So, but creating an environment where they're all learning to appreciate, right, the, this, this notion of risk and the decision making and the growth and to recognize there's no one decision, there's a series. And so building momentum. I, love, I always just like that, 
that thought, decision momentum. And again, at first, my, my first thought was, oh, this doesn't make any sense. I, Wait a minute, this makes a lot of sense. You know, that is, it's this practice in this is how we do it. And so it, it, it takes you from the, you know, the frustration of I, I accept the risk because I don't understand anything to a much healthier environment that says, you're, you know, you, you recognize them. This is your job, right? You both help us manage it, but also make it um, visible to executives who are juggling lots of risks all at one time. And so that's, I think it's a really uh, uh, neat way to do it. And one thing I'll reflect on that you said, Sean, also, you know, this, this, uh, a bit of a dilemma between the one size fits all, you know, and the, okay, magical checklist and we're going to, you know, pass or fail, you know, is not a healthy extreme here. And the other is, uh, you know, you've heard me say, you know, I grew up in the special snowflake school of security. Oh, everyone is special, you know unique. We learned that in kindergarten or whatever. And, uh, you know, oh, we couldn't possibly start a defensive program until we've done an incredibly expensive and complex, you know, threat assessment, dependency analysis, and all these other things. Well, you know, poppycock, you know, that's, that's you know, we don't accept that at CIS, right? There are, there are some things that need to get done and they don't age well. We need to get started on them. And, but what you need is a basis for that, right? And that was the idea behind, behind sort of the prioritization and the IG-1 approach is to say, you know, for me, and I, people can disagree, but any any credible threat risk assessment that doesn't point out I should uh, know where my systems are and where my software is and who controls the installation is not a credible assessment, right? It's and so if I know that's going to be in the answer, I want to get to work. I want to put the foundation machinery in place and get going. At the same time. You know, so to get you to a level where you you have information to work with, right? You, as part of this ongoing journey, you have a, a way to bring in information about the state of these kinds of, you know, IT based parameters. But you know, with and once you have a foundation, you can be more nuanced about, okay, you know, what do do I need more oxygen or more water or what are my other creature comforts or, you know, safety needs that that I need. But if you can't get started then, you know, the journey just doesn't get any easier. So I, I think there's, um, and that, again, that's the approach that drives us at CIS, this sort of, you know, can we, I used to describe it, it's probably not not quite accurate, Sean, but I said, when people ask me, you know, both pre-CIS and when I came in in 2015, you know, how do you pick the things you do? I said, well, you know, for me, I look around for problems that enterprises all seem to be solving on their own that they really shouldn't solve on their own, right? Because these are problems in common. We all have these problems, right? Of dependencies and inventories and, and uh, you know, control of privilege and identity management and all that. And why should everyone try to figure out, you know, what is the threat and all this on their own? We ought to be able to get most of the way there, right? The, the, you know, the, the fact that we're all in, interconnected using basically the same technology is a shared risk, right? It's shared threat. There's bad things can happen. But it's also an opportunity for shared solutions that said maybe every enterprise doesn't need to figure this out from scratch. Can we all help each other get to a to some place, right? Some foundational notion of defense and some basic machinery. And so that's that's at least conceptually for me, that's been a helpful way to think of it, to say, you know, as I understand the work of folks like you and our IT folks and you know their counterparts across the industry, um, you know, again. There's sort of a naive notion to us, a classic security frameworks, right? Here's the framework, you know, here's the catalog, here's the risk assessment method, you know, 
you, you need to be wise and go understand this and all the threats and all the dependencies and choose wisely from the catalog. And th there's a problem. I've been calling it again. I, I make stuff up, but <laughs> so it doesn't always resonate. But for me, I call it the enterprise of enterprises problem. You know, you want to design your framework being aware of that, right? So for us, for example, an enterprise of enterprises might be state and local governments as a whole or all the governments at every tier within a state. So you would love to have a, a program, a framework of activity that helps individual enterprises get better. But you always have to recognize at the enterprise of enterprises level, I want to add it all up, right? I want to know what is the state of this critical infrastructure, uh, the, the condition of this critical infrastructure across my entire state. So if you're designing it, you say, I, I want to design, right? Something that's consistent and additive. I can add things up with minimal cost without, without having human beings, you know, doing a thousand audits and have someone read all the audits and try to say, Hmm, things are getting better or worse. Right. And you really don't want to do that manually. And I watched that. That was a DOD approach, right? We do, thousands of audits, everyone writes a paper, we all shovel it, you know, goes to some giant, you know, uh, Indiana Jones warehouse of, you know, giant crates <laughs> waiting to be all read and wisdom created, you know, and what a terrible idea that is, uh, you know, um, again, intensive, error prone, uh, you know, all the usual stuff when, again, we're technologists. So we should design this, so recognizing there's a legitimate need at the higher level to know the state of many enterprises by the way, but you're not going to, this was a DOD approach. I'm going to stick sensors in every one of those things so I can figure it out for myself, you know, or I'm going to, you know, uh, crazy. I'm going to make them all use the same tool. So it's easy to roll it up. Oh, you know, one vendor loves that. Everyone else hates it. And it's terrible because you can't find one tool that will meet, you know, you can't run desert uh, networks in space and in the deserts while you're fighting a war, you know, under the same tool. So, so you want to design sort of a framework that allows you to say, I'm going to, I know I'm going to, I want to help individual enterprises. I don't want to give them pass-fail tests. I want to help them get better. But I have a legitimate need to know, am I improving? And where are the weak spots that deserve more attention or funding or help or whatever? That's a, that's a legitimate enterprise of enterprises question. And so we should design for that, right? So it's like, not, it's not just me on the journey. It's thousands of other people. And, uh, you know, I want to help them all get there, but I want to know how things are going. And I don't want to, I want to make that inexpensive. I want to make it natural. I want to make it a byproduct of technology. I just, I'm thinking one of my adventure trips, Sean, my wife and I are going to do the, uh, the, the famous bike ride across Iowa this summer, you know, riding across west to east, the entire state of Iowa with literally tens of thousands of other bicyclists. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all on this journey. We're all roughly following the same map. We all want everyone to get there safely, right? But boy, with the, the you know the chaos at the end, and did we all make it to the end? And you know, is there some way to design that? Well, th this event cannot be designed. It's designed well, but it's you, know, you have to accept a certain chaos. But this enterprise of enterprises thing, again, thinking about how do I design a, a structure of uh, data gathering, of uh, you know, of assessment, of reporting um, that is gives me those benefits. You know, everyone gets better, but I can do this. But I also I don't want to spend tons of money, and I don't want to do it manually by reading reports and rolling up. You know. And again, that's a that's a more classical, you know, uh, old old way of thinking of these problems that we just cannot afford anymore. Absolutely. So I'm wandering a bit from our journey, but I think yes, I think no. this. But and, and the roadmap thing, I think you know. So so a, a key thing you said, and I'll come I'll come back to you then is, by the way, we got to get started on the journey. 
<laughs> so what does that look like to you in your in your job once we're started? Because you're well into the journey here at CIS. Yeah. No, I mean, it was um, really understanding where you are, right? You know, what am I starting with? Um, mm-hmm. You know, am I on roller skates or do I have uh, a very nice car to get moving, right? Because you enter an organization. And one of the un- other elements is it, as well is, um, you know, one of the trending things I see, Tony, is the... Uh, really the lifespan of a CISO at a respective organization, right? Providing necessary direction in order to move at the mm-hmm. right pace. And, you know, every two years, three years, that's, that's a different perspective. That's a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, is, it doesn't tend to build the momentum that you were talking about. And, and it's yeah. not necessarily a problem as long as there's an underlying framework, but the interpretation of that framework is very much is different, right? Because you'll say um, the enterprise of enterprise. I love that, by the way. Is here's this catalog, okay? So I'm going to look at the catalog. I'm coming into an organization. Well, you know, if I want to build an underlying momentum, here's my decision momentum. Let me hit some small low hanging fruit, right? What's mm-hmm. the easiest thing I can do to achieve at least value that you know the reason you hired me and that I can make an incremental step in terms of improving security. Again, let's contextualize, let's approach it from a risk-based perspective. Um, Ultimately, it's creating those wins um, with an underlying framework as the roadmap, as those first initial steps. I'll call those baby steps. So once we've got the baby steps, that gets us to a respective position of where, okay, now I'm maturing, as it were. So I'll use an underlying capability maturing and both maturing from a child Mm -hmm. to a teenager. So I'm going through those formative years of, um, you know, (laughs) I'm disrupting business with new Mm -hmm. implementations of controls. I'm, you know, uh, causing chaos, as it were. Um, Is that necessarily right? Do I have to then mature in the attitude of, well, look at all these things I've done successfully in my early start on this respective journey. But you've got, like you've said, you've got to bring others on the journey with you. You can't do it yourself. Okay. So you take others on the journey. So now we align to business. Now we grow up. Now we're adults. And then we can, you know, jump on the bike. We can get in a motorcycle. We change to a car. Now we're in a rocket. Now we're in space and we're doing amazing things. Fantastic. (laughs) And then I leave. Okay. So now that comes back down to earth. And then somebody else is now captaining that respective approach. And it's, I think there's utility in it and I get the different perspectives, but I'll give you one other thought that I had, Tony, as you were, as you were talking previously, and it was, we're better together. And I love that because of the volunteer type approach that we take at CIS for both benchmarks, the controls, we're looking at a lot of different people in order to understand both the context of, you know, where they are, their respective journey, um, the many miles that they've walked in their respective shoes in order to get to a level of opinion that we want to take, right? And then we can integrate, we can provide that wisdom to then others to use it to build necessarily an information model that's, this is the framework, this is how we should implement. Here's our respective understanding of what that control means, because interpretation of controls from that catalog, um, I mean, Tony, you could talk to four or five different people from different uh, respective industrial verticals. They will have a different interpretation of what that respective control means. And it's 
is it in the eye of the beholder? Is it in the eye of the author of the respective framework? And really why the controls work so well, because it's operationalized. There, there's n not a lot of differentiation, maybe the underlying technology in which the control is applied, mm -hmm. but you've got a path in, in which to follow. And some of the other frameworks, and again, this is no disrespect to the other frameworks. I am a an advocate of using frameworks um, from many different organizations that the more ultimately it's uh, again, I still owe you money with the fog of more, but what it does for me is it allows me to then understand the entirety of respective frameworks to align. And that's where mapping becomes a key element. And again, we'll use our travel analogy is I've got different layers of the same map but they have different contexts. It's elevation, it's yeah. um, respective satellite imagery, and each one gives me a, a clearer view of where I'm going. Does that make sense, Tony? No, absolutely. I think that's that's fair. You know, uh, you, no one designed the world of frameworks, right? They each right. popped up independently for all kinds of good, noble, true reasons, that, yeah. mostly. And uh, and so, yeah, they, you know, again, we're, you're always looking for a sweet spot here. So you, you can aim for the maximum flexibility, right? You can write at a really high level, give people lots of choices, and um, but then you'll get lots of interpretations, right? Every auditor, every designer, every architect will have a different opinion. And so you've, by, its, by, you know, by just by those choices, you've created a very complex, expensive, you know, sort of amorphous target. Or you can have, a, you know, the other end of the spectrum is going to be this highly prescriptive top 10 list very tech, you know, and, and you take then you take the risk of being highly technology dependent, right? You have one model of how to solve a problem that may not apply to lots of circumstances, and so there's always a struggle to find that spot in there. And but I I think we we often overachieve on the generality because the more specific, the more <laughs> more people you make unhappy, right? Yes. And I remember in the early days that even pre CIS and then when I came into CIS. Because vendor was, and, and it's part of our responsibility, right? This is device as advice givers and as uh, um, the people responsible for a, a set of security recommendations to always be on the lookout for a better idea. You know, we have a notion of the problem that we're trying to solve with a particular safeguard in the controls. And vendors would come up to me very regularly and say, you know, those controls are, they're great, but they're kind of old fashioned. We have a better idea. Great. Prove it to me. Uh, give me a two-page paper. You know, tell me the problem you think the controls are that control is or that setup that you care about is trying to solve, and how your approach takes a different is a different way to either sort of bypass or solve that problem in a non-traditional way. And it turns out, you know, if there were ten of vendors, you know, roughly by percentage. Uh, three to five of them go away immediately. They never respond to the challenge, right? Because they just focus on their marketing instead. A few come back. And of the few that come back, a, a smaller number have actually convinced me, at least you know, when I was the primary editor, to change the wording of the controls, to recognize. I remember the early days, I remember we used to call it the detonation chamber technology, or I forget who's, which company used that. But this idea of virtualization, you know, sort of a, a controlled execution of a potential a risky attachment and so forth. We didn't really account for that that approach as a useful approach in uh, in some, I'll forget the, the specific version of the controls. And, uh, you know, vendor uh, put a couple engineers together and thoughtfully put together a presentation and a short white paper, very short. You know, I said, don't, if you spend 10 pages, you're overachieving, but come back and I'll have that discussion with you. And, uh, you know, what? 
they had a they had a pretty good idea, and I'm okay. And so part of our responsibility, right, is to be on the lookout. That is, you both. There's so much of security recommendations are like that sounds like a good idea. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. You know, there's a hundred thousand good things to do. You can't do them all. You can't even do a fraction of them. So that's not the question. That's not the relevant question. Is it a good thing to do or not? Everything is a good. Um, and anything you can do will provide some unknown value. That's why we focus so much on like the community defense model and things, right? We've got to get down to something that's more uh, defendable, repeatable, data-driven. And But at the same time, you always have to have a notion of what, what is the problem that, you know, not just the, the sort of individual recommendation, but what is the problem that needs to be solved? Are there alternate ways or alternate architectures or other completely different ways to approach this that either make that problem disappear or solve it in a non-traditional way? That's a really important thing. And most adopters, right, most end enterprises are going to struggle with that problem because they're going to be flooded by with vendors who are telling them, you know, with good faith that, oh, you know, this, this, all you have to do is throw away all your technology and completely integrate ours. And, you know, this, well, sometimes that's true, but not realistic. Yep. And so, but we have a responsibility to be open to that, right? To look for that. And this is what I think, uh, you know, we'll come back to our metaphor here around the journey. You sort of, I think, have to, like on any journey, right? You have to plan for the unexpected, right? What's going to happen, right? And we spend a lot of time planning and that's good, right? Planning is a good thing. And you know, you know all the quotes, right? You know, uh, you know, plans are useless, but planning is uh, everything or what, you know, what or in the military was always had no plan survives first contact with the enemy. You know, there's always these kind of, you know, so the act of planning is important, but you have to accept upfront, you can't anticipate everything. So planning for, you, you heard me say in our leadership discussion, right, plan for serendipity is my sort of softer way to say it. It doesn't mean allow yourself to get jerked around by the winds or whatever the newest thing, but and it's, it's not a passive activity. I'll wait for something weird to happen and then I'll react to it. Planning for serendipity means I'm looking for changes in context, right? New ideas, new technologies, new approaches. I don't want to be paralyzed. I still need to get going. But I should be always scanning the horizon for new information. In your world, right, it's the, the, uh, the threats, the, the new technology, the different approaches and so forth. Uh, you know, do you get a better idea from someone? It's okay. <laughs> you know, you're you're actively looking for that, and you have sort of a, a, a percentage of your mental t- capacity and resources prepared to be surprised. That's a healthy thing, right? In today's world, that is a that's a survival skill, and so I think that is part of the 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 plan, right? Is planning for the unplanned uh, is to be prepared for that again. And and my plea is. Don't think of it as a passive thing. Oh my gosh, you know what? What new thing will happen tomorrow? It's, it's, it's a bit of excitement too, right? You know that is your that's and it's hard for organizations, right? Because that means setting aside some mental time, some potentially some resources. It means disrupting some current activity in favor of something that comes in uh, that you had not anticipated. But a healthy organization, I, I, I I'll just say agile. You know, I'm not talking about specifically in methodology, but you know, ag- agility in an organization is a really great trait for today's times. Uh, it's okay. And, but it's, there's a price, right? You, you, that means you can't be 110% booked all the time. You have to be taking active measures. You ought to have partnerships with folks. You know, I, I used to say in the government, and you know, I, was, I worked for the big bad national security agency. I kept a sheet of uh, 
um, you know, I'm an old school guy, big, big uh, flip chart paper up, up on my board. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like every once in a while, I put my mental reminders up there, either for me or for the, you know, the leadership team that would come in. And, and I used to, one of them was, um, I used to put uh, positioning is more important than prediction. So I used to, because I grew up in a world where, Hey, uh, Tony, it's time for your organization to write its five-year plan. Great. I never, I never worked under a five-year plan that lasted longer than two years, by the way, right? Because <laughs> the new boss would come in, throw it away and start a new plan. But what I meant by that in the discussion I would have with, with my team is that we cannot predict the future. You know, we're, we're provably not very good other than sort of big, broad trends. But in fact, the, the future is changing and it's being shaped. We have a role, but frankly, the future in, our, in the world that I was talking about at the time is being shaped by the Microsofts and the Apples and the Googles and the Amazons, right? And so our positioning, right? Are we friends with, or do we have good relationships with the institutions, the trends that are shaping the future? Excuse me. That's actually a more powerful place to be than trying to predict the future. And so, what I was trying—the message I was trying to get across was: you need to spend some of your energy looking outside, again, not in a passive way, but in an active way. Because, by the way, no one of those players owns the future either, right? Some of them get bigger, and some exceed, and some flame out, and and so none of them gets to control the entire future. So you. And as government, right, we can kind of spread our attention in a non-competitive way across uh, some key partners. And I feel a lot of that still applies in, as to CIS as a nonprofit, right? With, and this is why I, I talk a lot in leadership about the role of our, our, our future is really determined by our ability to identify and manage key partnerships. It's not by growing our workforce, and we have grown our workforce, so that's all good. But our ability to shape the future of cybersecurity for good is as much determined by others as it is by us and recognizing that, right? And you know, we're not you know, competing in that space. We're, we're trying to complement that space. So, so I think part of that also, so, you know, so this, this notion of plan for the unexpected and sort of make it an active uh, thing. And, you know, it, 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 hey, disruption is uncomfortable for all of us, but it's also exciting, right? To, to be on top of the, uh, uh, technology and to look look and find new opportunities, new ways to do things that you know that are burdensome today that could be more exciting uh, and different for tomorrow. And so, you know, some of that we touched on with the whole whole chat uh, GPT stuff, right? Is there what what work is in fact like really lends itself to those kinds of you know modern uh, you know uh, language modeling or you know uh, other types of AI uh, approaches? Uh, and and really, the goal is to have. You know, we, if you can accept the premise that humans are, are capable of things that, you know, we can't do through technology, then, then what's the best use of humans? Exactly. And, you know, I think that's a reasonable thing. Anyway, so, so uh, yeah, so the, the roadmap, you know, we have a map. Hey, but roads get closed, you know, conditions change, and that's okay, right? We just, we learn to adapt for that. Exactly. Exactly. I think, like you say, there's, um, you know, we can look at the map and, and try to predict as best as, as possible, you know, what resources are required in order to complete that part of the journey. Obviously the map is never ending, but like you say, there's the, the freak storm will come out of nowhere. And, yeah. um, you know, we could talk about any vulnerability that we've, okay, everything stops. We have to address this right now because we cannot ride through it uh, mm-hmm. without addressing it. It's just not possible. So, um, the element of agility is critical, uh, because if you're, 
not able to do that. And and to your point, Tony, is you know you've got a staff that is um, too focused on everything else that they're you know it's the microscope approach that they're missing everything else around them. That is, uh, you're not doing anybody any good because what you're not doing either is taking in that other inference, that other um, information in order to readdress where you are at this point in time. Because as we mentioned, the velocity of these types of changes, these disruptors is ever quicker. Uh, and, you know, I'll reflect on a, a couple yeah. elements as well as we talked about chat GTP. How's that going to be applied? How are we looking at large language models? How are we making sure that the underlying information we're receiving is not necessarily poisoned or, or that we can trust it? And then we can see another, uh, a little bit further down the journey is yeah, the quantum disruption. And it's, mm. you know, all of these technologies coming in at such a, a faster pace than we've ever seen. Um, you know, we align to these elements of, uh, you know, the internet was a disruptor. Uh, you know, we could even go further back and say electricity, again, was another disruptor in, you know, just uh, this long journey that we're all traveling along. And now we're getting into digitization. And it's the work that we do with that respective data and the efforts of uh, of the work put into it. Um, it's quite interesting. It's such a uh, a model where if you don't have that agility or you're not thinking about it, because ultimately I, I love the point you made is if you're not looking down the road, um, you know, you're going to miss the road close sign. And, you know, you're off, uh, you know, the bridge is out and you're off the end of the bridge and and that's not going to help anybody. But to your point, if I'm prepared, I've got a parachute (laughs) and that I can survive the bridge being out. And, you know, I have to stop and reassess those types of things. So it's it kind of leads us again to that element of this journey is that it's um, the journey itself is, you know, continuous, but there's elements of repetition and we've got to keep. Um, both with the tenacity and ultimately we're going to hit a wall at some point. And, you know, I'll just go back to the analogy we've been working with is, you know, doing these long distance journeys um, is you're going to hit a wall at a particular point in time, but it's, it's the consistency, it's the approach, it's the training, it's the preparation that pushes you through to where, you know, we've got respective security controls, they're not working, or we've made a wrong decision. We need to be agile enough to realize the decision is wrong, fail fast in order to succeed quicker. Uh, some, you know, honestly have to repeat that same error multiple times before they learn the underlying lesson in order to move forward. Yeah, you, and you, you know, all these uncertainties, right? They can yeah. paralyze you. Oh yeah. And, and but you know, you spoke of earlier. Um, you know, you you're not trying to build the perfect, unbreakable plan up front, right? right? And frameworks play a role in this. That is, it's important to get going, right? But you want to have some. So, so even those you, know, you you talked about quick wins. I, I can't tell you my times people have told me, you know, I got to do something in the next few months because my boss has a short attention span. <laughs> you know, yes. I'll be fired if I'm not, if I don't have something to show. And that's important, right? That's, yeah. that's recognizes the behavioral economics and the di- decision dynamics, but you don't want it, that to be a random thing. You want it to be po- something that is a foundational or that can lead to other things. And you can't do that without having sort of a, a plan, right? A, a framework or a structure that allows you to get going. And so this, this idea of um, you know, quick action, right? Because there's there's an important problem, 
it's realistic to say, and I, I will have a limited uh, time to do this, or my boss will have limited patience. So that's reality, and that's okay. That, but also that means you you want to build things, right? Things, and, and I think um, again, I remember an early conversation with our CEO. I forget what I called it. Now we were talking about something sort of the, the starting point. And I used a particular term and he came back with a, why don't you say foundational? I thought, doggone it. Yeah, it was good. I'm glad he <laughs> read that because it was, the implication was clearly building upon, right? And so, so you want to balance this, build the infrastructure, build the foundation, build the basic machinery, but you got to have some victory in there. It's some, you know, reasonably close in point in time. And that's okay. Cause you could, you know, the, there's no reason you couldn't do both, but the idea is have a long-term view, but get to work. And I think that's, exactly. that's, that's a big part of it. Exactly. So I, I think also any, any big surprises that sort of caught you or your plan, uh, you know, that came out of left field that you had to react to. Oh, uh, one, before I, uh, I'll give you a chance to think about that. The um, being able to deal with those kinds of things, right. That, can be a healthy outcome of that earlier discussion we had about, about sort of decision momentum. You sort of train the company to have these decisions about risk, right? To look at conditions and to what is the impact on the risk of the company, you know, and, and thinking of that as an upfront activity is good, but also sort of trains the executives to be prepared for these serendipitous or threatening unknowns that, that pop up, right? This is just a continuation of the discussion, maybe in a little more compressed time frame with higher, higher uh, stakes. Yeah. But, you know, you don't want that to be the place of learning, right? Of, of like, we've never made these kinds of decisions before with these kinds of inputs. I think that's, that's a really, uh, I didn't thought of it that way, but I think that that's really what you were describing to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of aligning a few concepts there, Tony, into uh, really a very salient sentence. Thank you. And, and, you know, one of the things I look at, and and this was from left field that was, uh, you know, now Mm -hmm. part of everybody's crisis plan was the pandemic. It it was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we reacted and obviously one of the things I will put to, um, you know, our impressive IT staff that just, it was one day we're in the office, the next day we are a remote organization without a blink of an eye. (laughs) It was was phenomenal. I mean, it's not that it was seen, but it was prepared for because yes, we had a remote workforce, but we had the capacity for everybody to be remote. And Mm -hmm. it was done in such an, um, I'll say elegant way. And that is really a good word for the way it was done because it was, we did not miss a beat. We were representative of the organization. We didn't lose respective value as an organization or have any issue on our reputation. We were there that day, um, you know, in March, 2020, you know, it's, uh, I forget the actual day, probably should remember that, but then what it does. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should need a holiday for memori- Yeah, memorialize that in, in terms of what we did. But what it did, Tony, though, is when you then look at the community, and there's where I thought a lot of different organizations came together because we were all mm-hmm. dealing with the same thing at the same time. And it was mm-hmm. um, okay. really bringing together that element of community. And, you, you know, you see it through disasters and, other uh, elements as well and it it's really a testament to uh really the industry and there's you know a specific element within the cybersecurity realm that i've always found that there is a great sense of community there are obviously naysayers and those that uh believe they're the lone wolf with the the best ideas that uh you know they can't be taught anything new 
absolutely fine. That if, if that's the you, way you I've feel, said, you, you can make a living as a cranky critic. Exactly. <laughs> Provably, you can still do that. Yes, absolutely. But I know what you mean, John. Yeah, exactly. But you could. There's a lot more. It, it seems like a lot more camaraderie, and and that's a yeah. great thing. And we see it through our volunteers. We see it with our partners. We see it in the space, mm-hmm. and we're all trying to achieve together. And I, you know, I go back to. Um, you know, the tours that you're going on. Uh, it's I'm sure there are people that want to finish first, but mm-hmm. as a community, those are pushing you on. Oh, I forgot something. Hey, I've got spare. Have, yeah. You know, exactly there's, there's like that, that yeah. element that really brings people together and it just is an element yeah, that's, of that's a humanity point, in this space. Sean. Wonderful point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, uh, I'll share with you, this came up in the, the, in the, uh, the cyber safety review board discussions oh. <laughs> of all yeah. places, right? <laughs> As we discussed Log4j, I can't share the inside discussion, but I can tell you, one of the things that came up so a classical kind of government response is, right, the government can be the trusted authority and, you know, I send everything to the government. And I, I say this respectfully as a, you know, 35-year government employee, and the government can vet it, clean it up, and share it all out. Yeah. And aligned with our discussion here, right, the, the, the thing is, the, the wrong time to do that is at the start of the crisis, because in times of crisis, and the term we came up with was trust communities, you'll see in that report if you look for it, said people in times of crisis turn to the community that they trust. Who's been there for me? Who, is it, who do I interact with? You know, I call Carlos. I call someone in the ISAC. You know, that's a year-round activity that has generated trust, you know, generated a notion of the competence of the other party. And, and so when in times of crisis... The goal is not to create a new thing; it's to leverage this these uh, communities of trust that already exist. Right? That's a really powerful thing because that's where people look for help, whether it's an ISAC or an ISAO or an industry trade group or whatever. So it's a different model because it's very distributed. No one's in charge of all of those. Right? Many of them know each other; they're collaborative, or you, you know, have the council of ISACs and so forth. But but they're very independent. It's a distributed model of information gathering, sharing, vetting, you know, and so forth. But it plays into that, you know, the notion that you emphasize, right? These are human beings at the end of the day. Do we, do we, and so who's my tribe? Who's my community? Who do I look to? You know, who do I know has helped me in the past? That's where I'll go. And I so so yeah, so our, and, you know, similarly, I, I often, I talk about, I, got, I have to go track down the date when we went to, I think it was towards the end of March in 2020. You know, I call it, you know, people want to focus on a weekend of heroism, right? Rightfully, mm-hmm. right? People did yeoman's work. But it was really enabled by the prior year's work of creating, you talked about capacity, processes, where's our data, where's our risk, you know, uh, who are our friends, and, and people look to us, right? We're running 24-7, now 15,000 member, you know, community of trust in the ISAC. And so it's the prior work to build that community that enables a weekend of heroic activity to be successful. So, so yeah, I think so, you know, we're, we're getting to the end of our journey here, Sean, <laughs> but you know, you bring up a great point, which is this, we're not on it alone. And so, and there's lots of people both helping us, pulling for us, right? They're, they're a part of that. And so I think that is, you know, that, that recognizes the reality that I talked about earlier, right? We don't, we can't expect every enterprise to go off on their own and, do right, and then we added up what happens. You know, that was a that's the bad classical approach. Uh, oh my gosh, the federal government's in terrible shape. Well, okay, you know, and we did that 
adding up after the fact, when in fact we want to design this, right? Recognize these these communities and then empower them to help them, you know, and how do we make those, um, uh, you know, again, both available year round, but also in, in, a, in a time of crisis. So I think that's, that's a, you know, a great way to think of as we wrap up our discussion about the journey here, you know, all these elements that we talked about, the, the planning, the be prepared for the unplanned, the, you know, having a structured way to think about the decisions and uh, recognizing that, uh, you know, this is not a journey where we get to the end, put our feet up and, you know, coast to the end of our careers, but in fact, it's an ongoing thing. The map's changing, the, you know, the floods are taking out intersections, whatever is going on, you know, is going to be part of our lives, right, for the yeah. foreseeable future. And I think there's, um, and yet it, it sounds challenging, but I don't think it's hopeless, right? It's not, no. It, it, it's, and, you know, one of the things I also look at too is it, that's why CIS, I think, has such a great place and a lot of people respect because we're there on that journey with you. Like like you say, we tell a story of how we do it internally, but then we also reflect and provide resources to help make your journey easier. Uh, white papers, benchmarks, controls, just the ISACs doing all of their phenomenal work. And CIS Secure Suite, we're actually offering a discount on Secure Suite now through April 30th. Uh, you can save up to 20% on a new CIS Secure Suite membership using promo code CYBER2023. We've uh, Another element, Tony, I will bring uh, to the table is that it's also elements of privacy is that is ingrained now as part of a worldwide approach that countries really, in some cases, going alone in terms of defining. We've got the European Union with GDPR. Mm -hmm. We have... Canada, South Africa, um, New Zealand, other countries that are moving in this direction. And then we see it reflected in states within the United States that are moving themselves. And then it becomes, a, a, again, another fog of more where it becomes a default, which is the most restrictive. And then we have to apply the, the underlying approach. So now my journey is impeded because I've, you know, representatively a, a business that has both worldwide connections and connections with all the states have to now compartmentalize all of those approaches mm -hmm. as another hurdle. And it's these things that we, you know, are, are put in front of us that we gracefully um, review and, and uh, you know, plan our journey ahead because they are, that that is with us, that there is, no getting around that uh, at this no, no, point you, in time. And, you, you know, I know you live that. You know, I, yep. I think you just came up with another topic for an upcoming <laughs> a podcast here, we, you know, which is this incredibly, right? It pushes so much uh, work and responsibility to a job like yours, you know, because, we, hey, we, we deal worldwide. So we have to, you know, you can't ignore this, right? Uh, you, even just figuring out the worst or the most restrictive of all these is, is a lot of work in and of itself. Yep. But it really is very challenging. And it's a challenge, right? It's one of those classic problems that do I expect every enterprise to solve this alone? Or is there work that we can do to help each other? Yeah. And the, the, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll close with, with the point that you made. Right? We have you know, one of the, the purposes of this podcast is to uh, sh show that we share the journey, right? We are a modern computing enterprise. We have complicated relationships around the world. We have data issues and all these things. And so we have... Now we're a security company, right? So we we have more, maybe more resources than a than a typical uh, enterprise of our size, but we're also, uh, I you know I think quite transparent about our struggles, our approaches, how we do these things, 
and we're not, well, I hope it's entertaining, but we're doing it as education, right? To help, help take the things that we're learning and put them in a form that others can make use of. And I think that is really bedrock to what we're trying to do at, at CIS. So I think, uh, you know, there, there's so much more to be done, but I really uh, feel good. You know, you pointed out, you know, again, we, we talk about this often that we are a professional advice giving, you know, recommendation publishing organization that has a now 15,000 member 24 seven coast to coast and beyond responsibility for operational security and bringing those together right, to recognize real life and all those challenges and to be, you know, holistic. And then the third leg of this is about us as a modern IT company. It's a really powerful, uh, you know, model for us that also gives us the responsibility and opportunity to help others with these same problems. So, you know, so uh, we're, we're here for everybody else on their journey. Uh, if And, uh, you know, as always, right, for the listener here, uh, we're always interested in hearing about your challenges, the things that you're struggling with, because, um, you know, we're, we're happy to share a perspective or to bring in expert uh, guests to talk about some of these things. So don't hesitate, reach out to us and we'll, we'll uh, be glad to, you know, when we don't know, we're pretty quick to say we don't know, right? But, um, you know, we, we face these struggles. We're, we're happy to share what we've learned or what we get through the, the vast community that interacts with us and is part of our big community. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tony. Uh, again, great discussion. Uh, as Tony mentioned, reach out to us at podcast.cisecurity.org. Uh, remember to subscribe in all the normal ways. Uh, and with that, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.